Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Dustin Gavrilo, North Dakota Watchdog Network. Thank you for joining us here today on The Crude Life via our Swan Energy phone lines. Dustin Goverlow with the North Dakota Watchdog Network. Man, you've had to been doing that for over a decade now. Um, how long have you been doing this? I've uh, been operating as the Watchdog Network since 2012, and before that, uh, we were the uh, North Dakota Taxpayers Association for another four years. So, And then if you go further, uh, we were uh, the North Dakota Americans for Prosperity, but uh, we don't talk about those times. How long? I've been doing this 15 years now. I was going to say, I know you and I have been going back from my days, you know, when I was doing news talk at uh, KFGO and some of the other radio stations in Fargo that you were kind of one of the, the Bismarck's um, researcher and, and watchdog and kind of that first person to keep the politicians accountable and turn a few heads and, and that sort of thing. And that in the advent of internet and being able to research things on a, you know, click of a fingertip, almost like you were like the GameStop Reddit guys back 15 years ago, but with government documents, Dustin. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, when, when I started, it was, it was the three of us, which was uh, Rob Court, myself and Brett Narlock with the North Dakota Policy Council. And, uh, <laughs> Rob's still doing his thing, and I'm still doing my thing. You know, I still call Rob Port the most successful blogger to come out of North Dakota because that guy started out as a blog, and he's done a fantastic job of of turning that into a business. And he's he's polarizing, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is he's done a fantastic job of figuring out a way to make a living out of being a blogger. And he's had to reinvent himself a few times over, and and combine a couple business models together, and I tip my hat to him for that. Um, and so, anyway, uh, you mentioned I haven't heard his name in a while. That's why I, I, br- I brought that up, I guess. But let's, yeah, yeah, you know, those of us in the in the political world in North Dakota, we have to be creative because, uh, despite popular opinion, there's not all that much money in politics, at least not in the independent. Uh, uh, type of politics where you're trying to be a journalist and trying to do lobbying at the same time. And, and you know, it, it's very difficult. It's feast or famine, baby. But we are living in a day and age now where the subscription model is becoming a little bit more accepted by the average person. You know, for a long time, the subscription model was kind of considered Amway and Tupperware and network marketing and pyramid schemes. And now with the advent of uh, Freshly Dinners and Harry's razors and all kinds of different things that subscription models are, are a little bit more uh, palatable to the average person. So you're seeing a resurgence of, you know, organizations like yourself, the crude life. We've had to reinvent ourselves four times in the last 10 years. And four years ago, five years ago is when we went with the subscription model. And that's been our, that's been our, our sweet spot. You know, it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> I'm going toe to toe with an ad agency right now because they don't understand our new model. They're, they're out of Chicago and they keep trying to fit me into the old traditional media model. And I keep telling them, we, we don't do that anymore. We just, and they're like, what do you mean you don't do? They can't figure that out. Like, what do you mean you don't do that? And I'm like, we just don't. We have to we have to do things this way because we're not everything. We're very specific now with what we do. And one of the things that we do is we bring in experts. 
We bring in people that are consistently in the news. We bring in people that generate and create news based on what they research and who they interview and how they package their news. And well, lo and behold, I got a press release from the North Dakota uh, Watchdog Network, and it was about coal. And I went, oh my goodness, I haven't seen a coal news brief come out of uh, the North Dakota Watchdog Network ever. But there has been a lot of coal news in North Dakota over the past six months. I saw that even the Petroleum Council was lobbying for coal in an Associated Press article over the summer. I haven't heard much from from anybody outside of, you know, coal in the state of North Dakota. So I thought we'd bring you on to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, a lot of the oil and gas talk is related to federal leasing. And uh, tomorrow on our program, we have U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. So we're going to talk about some of the executive orders and et cetera. But uh, with Dustin today, we want to talk a little bit about coal. And I love the headline, man. I don't even know if you're for it or against it or if you're being snarky or trying to stir the pot or what. But it, it was like, you know, it, the North Dakota legislators are not going to allow coal to fail. Oh, is legislators are going all in on coal. So talk to me a little bit about what, what you're looking at, what your idea is, and how you came up with the coal idea. Well, you know, this has been something that I've been keeping an eye on. And, and in the last year, I've, I've been learning a little bit about the energy industry. Not as much as you know, of course, but uh, I, I have not stuck my nose into energy in the past other than in 2010, 2011, I was involved in fighting against the cap and trade bill at the federal level. And um, so this session, I noticed just an absolute flood of bills related to coal. We'd been hearing that there was going to be bailout bills and subsidy bills, and you know we didn't see much early on, but then all of a sudden, uh, a couple weeks into the session, uh, half the bills that were popping up were related to coal and energy. And, and so uh, you know I testified on a couple of them, testifying on another one tomorrow. And overall, that there's this, this critical mass of Republican legislators who believe that the state of North Dakota has to save coal. Now, whether you believe that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's Republicans doing it. It's Republicans proposing millions upon millions of dollars to do it and proposing new taxes to do it. And, um, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic because you know, you, you, said, you said that you didn't know where my, my title was coming from. Well, I'm taking this from the strictly uh, traditional conservative free market position of, you know, if we've got an industry here, we've got to look at how we can get the state and government uh, out of the way. But, you know, the, the state should not be in the business of propping up any one industry. I don't believe that the state should prop up wind, solar, anything. I think, you know, in an ideal world, it would all live or die on its own merits. And in all likelihood, if, if the playing field was level and all of those subsidies for, for green energy were gone, it would still, the market would migrate that direction. It would just be slower and it would be more sustainable. So, so I'm looking at this as, okay, if, if this industry is really, um, 
on its last legs like some people think, uh, and I'm speaking of coal, um, you know, that we're looking at a 10 to 20 year window where it's pretty much going to be gone as far as uh, North Dakota's ability and to viably produce it. Um, and not ju- and, and not really at a production level. It will always be producible. The problem is the, the market and the fact that Minnesota and these other states that, that are left-leaning have created, basically they've built walls to stop any energy that is based in carbon and based in fossil fuels. And so if we've got an energy economy that's based on exporting uh, those types of energy products, we've got a problem. And, and that's what the legislature is looking at now. And they're, they're looking at doing it in a few different ways, and we can certainly go bill by bill if you like. I wanted to ask you about something in the Bismarck Tribune, okay? Yeah. And it has to do with, um, I, I had to look at it twice because I'm not sure I fully understand this. So according to the Bismarck Tribune, all right, the bill before, now I don't know what bill this is. It's, uh, hang on here, let me look at the story real quick. I think you're talking about 1458. HB 1458. Okay, HB 1458, House Bill. 1458, for those of you out there that do not know what HB means, because I I did not at first. It took me a little while to know what it meant. Um, All right. So North Dakota lawmakers would levy a tax on wind farms that would equal half the production tax credit. This tax would apply only to wind farms that begin operating in 2021 or future years. The state tax uh, officials estimate the measure would generate $5 million per year in tax revenue from the new wind farm. What, what is going on with that? I guess um, I, I don't understand that if, it's, if it has to do with coal. Like, are they – anyway, what, what, what's that all about, that, that uh, tax on wind farms? Well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, steal – the, the federal subsidy that wind energy gets from the federal government via tax credit. That's what I thought. Take, take half of it and then dump that half into subsidizing coal instead. And so this is the state of North Dakota indirectly trying to tax the federal government. Well, what I don't like is what my gut was right away is that the, the, the blowback the blowback, which is not now it's it's fossil fuels versus green energy. And so now facts get thrown out. It's just it's straight out emotion versus versus loud shouting. And th- this this to me, when, when, when I read through your press release today, all I could see was reaction, reaction, reaction. That's all I could see was was yep. how, how can we react because apparently we didn't see this coming. How can we react and do it in a way with a big middle finger? That, that's what I read in a lot of these. So, uh, yeah, go through, go through a few of these bills. If you want to go through all of them, go through all of them. But uh, definitely highlight a few so people can get an idea of, uh, of, of what's happening here with the energy sector in North Dakota. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully you can get somebody else who is in a, in more of an industry expert on on this. Uh, it's my understanding that a lot of this goes back to something called 
power purchase agreements where the federal government guarantees to every utility that they will buy a certain level and certain amount of energy based on production capacity. And that that is kind of a baseline uh, support structure, sort of like with uh, with with uh, uh, egg commodity prices, where you know the federal government will buy the crop if nobody else will. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain safety net. Yeah, there's a certain safety net that's going to ensure that at least you'll have a heartbeat. You know, because you you need to have a heartbeat so the community has a heartbeat. You know, it's like the same reason that. You know, in order in order to have a power company, you got to ensure that even in a blackout, you can go out and get generators or you can go out and get power to people, you know, and, and otherwise they, they're not going to give you a monopoly, you know, that you have to. So um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just it's it's a core. Yeah, I get it. Yep. OK, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So it's my understanding that a lot of these power purchase agreements are expiring and the federal government is not going to renew them oh. if they are. Uh, fossil fuel base. And so that is a big problem here. And and that's kind of the hole that the state of North Dakota is trying to fill. Hang on here. Directly or indirectly. Repeat that. That's the, that, that right there is the whole story. What you just said right there is um, the headline for the story of, of this interview. So what was that federal th- expi- expiration? That, that the, the, Federal power purchase agreements are set to expire in the next few years, uh, two to five years, roughly. And that that is going to create a black hole for coal-based power. And and the state of North Dakota is looking at how can it fill that hole so that these power plants are still viable if that uh, baseline support level that has been there from the federal government all along. I mean, it, it has been subsidized, but... It's been subsidized in the, in the manner of buying power at the bottom end. And, and so we've got legislators that are worried that this is going to collapse, not the North Dakota economy, but the economy of at least certain sections of North Dakota. I mean, I grew up in Mercer County in Zap, so, uh, you know, this would affect my home area more than anybody and, and, and more than anything in, in the state. And so... Uh, you've got at the legislature now, the first bill, which was heard a few weeks ago is uh, house bill 1452. And that is called a clean, sustainable energy authority. They want to create a new agency. They want to give it $25 million. And it sounds great. It sounds like it's a way to pave the way for future to have clean energy. When in fact, it is a way to subsidize, uh, carbon keep sequestration at a higher level than we are already doing it, which is interesting because we've already got programs that are subsidizing that. So it's like, if we've already got it and we think it works, you know, why do we need a new agency? Why not just dump more money into it there? But that's what they want to do. They want to create a new agency. They want to redefine what clean and green is for North Dakota's purposes in the hopes that uh, other states and other power markets that buy our electricity will be willing to take it if it is a little bit cleaner than just regular old coal. I personally think that that's, you know, wishful thinking because Minnesota and California and whoever we sell our, our energy to, they're not worried about whether it's clean coal. They're worried about whether the word coal is there at all. And so unless 
we can tell them, well, we converted it over to natural gas first, and then we used it to build to, to fire a power plant. They're not going to want to deal with it. And, and so this bill is, is kind of uh, a smokescreen. It's a masquerading as a clean energy bill, but it's really just another uh, support structure subsidy, subsidy system. So really, though, at the end of the day, it, it's an attempt to try to subsidize coal so that they don't shut down. That, that right. would, would you say that's at least their intention? Yes. Yeah, that is the intention. Whether whether it is viable a viable uh, approach to doing that, I think is up to for debate. And well, no, it's it, it's an extremely narrow minded bill. There's no question about it. It's it's extremely narrow. But w- whether it's right or wrong is up to each person because when your state relies on seventy percent of coal to power it, you know you you have to start going beyond creative so i i listen i i'm not going to fault a lot of the 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 legislators for doing what they got to do on this thing because um their backs are against the wall on this coal thing they science doesn't matter you hit the nail on the head the minute the word coal is introduced people turn off right then and there i mean when you said that i started thinking going they got to pass a law to change the word coal just call it like uh puppy fuzzy puppies or something like that uh, no never mind you can't get energy from fuzzy puppies um that's, that's even worse um, we gotta come up Not with something else energy nuggets well, Sterling, our, our morning show partner we do a morning show here now called play hard work hard the first half hour is uh, uh play hard and kind of our morning prep meeting just have some fun that sort of thing the second hour which you're on right now is the uh, play hard we you know a little more serious talk i'm sorry work hard we you know we actually have serious talk um, conversations that are not easy to have, you know, kind of some real leadership talk. And um, anyway, I just it, it got me thinking of that a little bit. That uh, uh, the play hard portion, you might you might enjoy that a little bit more. But um, anyway, so I, I will definitely have to uh, tune in uh, to to that version. Well, it, it, he, free, Sterling calls fracking freedom juicing. Because we've, we've said that the word frack is a terrible word. Um, and it's not me, actually, who said that originally. Uh, I went to a conference out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming back in 2014 where they had Federal Reserve people there and a lot of CEOs. I mean, this was like a rare albino elk sighting of, of high level of people, right? And um, the keynote speaker, the first thing he said was, you know, we could have gave Madison Avenue a billion dollars to come up with the worst word ever for our industry, and we did it to ourselves for free. And, you know, the thing about that word is it's a very accurate word. It's a very scientific, very technical word. But when you translate that into modern society, you fracture a dam, you fracture a relationship, you fracture your bone. We've been conditioned our whole life to just that word it doesn't really have a lot of positive connotation around it. So just that right there, you're kind of back against the wall. Um, it's, it's got a very, I mean, pro wrestling, man, the frack attack, that'd be cool. We, you know, we name, we name our dog Frackleberry Hound, our mascot. It's the only time I've seen people smile with the word. So Sterling, he calls fracking freedom juicing. So we're starting to call it that anyway. So I just thought you might get a kick out of that. We might need to change the word coal to something else. Then if that's, if that's what it, if that's what it takes in order to buy these guys 10 years of a job or something like that. Cause at the end of the day, Dustin, my big problem is that 
you know, fossil fuels, 90, 95% of our life relies on it. And to, and, and I, you and I are around the same age, you know, we're in our mid forties, at least I am. And, um, just to go from 90% society reliance down to tw- uh, 70% would be a 20% reduction. I, I think that's really aggressive just even over 20, 30 years. I think that's really hard to do when you start thinking of, you know, just seafood. Just seafood. I'm not even talking about transporting it to, you know, Bismarck, North Dakota, where you are. I'm talking about the boats that go out and catch it. Just that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about aspirin. We're talking about all these Tesla cars that, you know, everybody idol worships Elon Musk, but the, the rubbers and, and, and the tires are made out of that, and the, the batteries are powered by natural gas. I mean, so much of that car is, is petroleum products. It's ridiculous. I actually think the idol worship on Elon Musk is so big right now. He could say tomorrow he's starting an oil company, and the environmentalists would applaud him. Oh, Oh, somebody finally understands oil. Oh, my goodness. Let's give it to them. I, I think that, you know, we're in a day and age where that just seems to be the lead. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got it on my soapbox. You do that to me. You get me on soapboxes with these bills. But um, Yeah, and, and, and I think that your, your message is that it's all about marketing. It's all about and, marketing. You know, just it's, like. <laughs> it's an episode of Mad Men. You know? or, or Elizabeth or, Warren. I mean, uh, she hasn't been Elizabeth Warren for 30 years. That was four marriage ago. So her name is Elizabeth Warren Man Herring or something like that. So anyways, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, these other bills then. What, what are some of the other bills that people in energy need to pay attention to, either from, you know, like, oh, I don't like the way that one's positioned to, oh, okay, there's some money coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So House Bill... Uh, 1412 was heard today, in fact, and you got a 13 to 0 due pass with almost no uh, discussion. And, and that is a bill that would reduce the uh, state tax on coal power generation and conversion by 60% for the next five years. Uh, roughly a $35 million per biennium. Uh, industry-specific tax reduction. And, you know, in the past, again, it comes down to philosophical basis. In, in, in the past, Republicans have been apprehensive about targeted tax cuts. They like across-the-board tax cuts that benefit all residents and all businesses. Here we've got a situation where that's kind of be, being pushed aside. So the, the issue is whether it's good tax policy or not. Uh, House Bill 1380 is one of the many, many bills that uh, looks to spend our legacy fund earnings and possibly even some of the uh, uh, principal uh, by creating a new economic diversification fund. Now, the question that I brought up is, what's the difference between economic diversification and the economic development program that we've had in North Dakota for the last 25 years? We've spent a lot of money on, quote, economic development. Is that not working? And now we have to shift and double our, our subsidy program, and, and now we're going to have economic development programs separate from economic diversification programs? You know, it, 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 we, we get into this duplicating of government agencies, government programs, and we all know what Ronald Reagan said about government programs. Next, next best thing to eternal life. They, once they start, they don't stop. 
it's amazing to hear the passion in your voice because you know you're 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 a libertarian at the core. I know that. I mean, you've got these libertarian tendencies to let the free market work, let people you know, have whatever lifestyle they want to have in their own house and, you know, just that sort of thing. And it's frustrating. I can hear it. I can hear it. And I'm, I'm in the same camp. Listen, I've, I've been pretty upfront that I was a, you know, I'm an old Goldwater Republican. You know, I'm one of those stay out of my checkbook, stay out of my personal life, but I'll gladly pay for the roads and law enforcement and, you know, the, the laws that we collectively come up with together, et cetera the special interests and the subsidies I got some real problems with. And um, it's very difficult for me to see what's happened because so many people that have been speaking and preaching about the free market my whole life, it really seems like they're very afraid of the free market. Do you think or are you observing almost like this fear of the free market right now? I think that the certain factions on, on the Republican side, on the conservative side, have watched four years of President Trump's populism and, and decided that, you know, that whole idea of the free market, you know, maybe it's, it's, too, it's too difficult to defend. You know, it's a lot easier to just propose your own socialist programs and try to get your people in charge of them because, you know, the only problem with the socialists is that it's Democrats running it. If, if only Republicans were running those socialist programs, they'd be fine. That's the attitude I believe that a lot of people, a lot of Republicans have. And that is, you know, going to lead to the downfall of conservatism. You know, well, that's, that's, where, that's the difference that's between entitlement. Republicanism was back in the 60s, and that's why Ronald Reagan rose to, to his stature at that time. So we're repeating history over and over again. Well, I was apologizing for interrupting you. I do. But I was just like, I wanted to chime in to say, you know, that that's entitlement what you're talking about taking over, which is, well, they're doing it, so I should do it, too. That's that's entitlement. That's all it is. Yep. So the, the, the Republicans used to be really against that. And now they're, they're it's it's quid pro quo. It's just, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there who do not think that you can operate a business without government support. They just, you cannot get to that next level without it. And it's, it's a very frustrating and defleeting conversation to hear people talk that way. And they're, you know, they're afraid to talk like that. So it's got to be over breakfast on a Saturday or Sunday morning or late at night. You know what I mean? It's, that's, it's a vulnerable thing for a business owner to admit. It's a very vulnerable thing, but apparently once, once you're getting the government checks, it's, it's really easy to admit <laughs> and, right. and, and, and accept. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, all this comes down to the fact that we have a tax and regulatory regime at, at the federal level, more than the state, obviously, that makes it so difficult to be in business that your states have to fight over how much they can prop up business in order to even survive, let alone compete. And, and this whole idea that we've got, you know, th this is where the last four years were, were, in my view, a failure because we went away from within the Republican crowd, the idea of state level uh, governance and adopted the idea that, well, as long as we have the right president in 
the White House. We can fix a few things around the edges with executive orders and things will be fine. Well, no, because it's just going to flip the other way in four years when the next guy comes in and signs 150 executive orders in two weeks. You know, running a government, running an economy this way, we're quickly getting to the point where it's not sustainable. This house of cards is wobbling big time. And at some point, somebody's going to realize that this is not sustainable. What do you make of the governor coming out, Bergam, just to get your opinion, since you've been following the North Dakota politics and everything as long as you have, uh, Bergam coming out and making a statement. I, I didn't really understand the statement against the Keystone Pipeline. Did you get a chance to read that where he's just directing agencies to go do some work to find out what kind of impact it would have? Yeah. Yeah. Burgum's orders are for agencies to evaluate what the Biden executive orders will mean for North Dakota, which is a normal thing. There's nothing that extraordinary about it. It's, it's then becomes an issue, okay, what are you going to do about it? You've got Democrat House and Senate and a state that is now sending all Republicans to D.C. There's no influence there anymore. You know, so, I mean, it's kind of an argument that you should always have one in both sides. You never put all your eggs in one basket, right? You should always have somebody who's got some influence. And uh, because now North Dakota is going to get pinched. And, and it may be for four years, and, and maybe Republicans will find somebody who can rise up again. Uh, but this back-and-forth ping-pong game that, that this country has been playing with the economy since the, you know, the first days of the Obama administration have absolutely created a situation where there is no sustain, there's no sustained policy, there's no predictability in policy or tax code or any of these things. And so why would anybody put money into any industry unless it was backed up by government money? Well, that's where we're heading, where very little business activity, and and never mind COVID and and government shutting down business for six months and then spending trillions of dollars to to prop them up because the government broke it. You know, people ask me, well, why aren't you out against the, the, the COVID money? The government broke it. The government owes those people the the ability to make it tell the point that the economy is open again. Because if the government's the one making the decision, it's not the business that's screwing up. I'm all in favor of letting screwed up businesses wither and die. But when it wasn't the business that made the mistake, then that is the role for government. And that's why we should not spend all this money uh, on, on corporate welfare in good times. Keep the corporate welfare for the bad times when, when you need it. I just cannot believe the way the government's taken over the market. I just, I, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime to where they're not only doing executive orders to shut down an industry, but they're publicly shaming it too. They're, they're state sponsoring the shaming that goes into this, the, 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 the industry. And, I mean, to the, to the tune to where they're telling people to quit and go build solar panels. I mean, they're actually saying that publicly to oil and gas workers. Shut up, go quit, and go make solar panels. I mean, I, I've, 
Have you ever heard of such a thing coming from the president of the United States? I mean, that's how much, that, that's how cavalier we've gotten with everybody's lives to where the president of the United States thinks he can just start direct, playing SimCity. He says, everybody, these guys are playing SimCity now. With, with our lives. And it's absolutely remarkable because they think, you know what, if, if, if one of those little pop-up things happens, we'll just move the percentage up here and then that'll take care of that. And next thing you know, that, that, that'll all be taken care of. I've, I've never seen anything so cavalier with other people's lives before. And to know that this is the way the future is going I mean, there's, there are conversations that are being had that I've never heard before from people that I've never heard. And they, they are confused. They're angry. They're trying to figure out where some of their next checks are going, if they even want to stay in the same industry. I mean, mm-hmm. Dustin, things are changing right now, right before our eyes. And the conversation that I had today was fantastic with a guy, business owner, right? And he's in the solar business. He's in the solar industry. And he was sticking up for oil and gas. He said, he goes, I've never seen such a push in my life. He goes, we've been getting subsidies for 30 years. But now, he goes, now we got momentum. Now we got momentum. And we started talking about the difference of what's happened with momentum. Okay, so if you're in North Dakota and you're in Club ND, well, you're getting money and momentum. And if you don't get the money and momentum, well, you got to figure out how to adjust. You got to figure out how to adjust. And that is a big problem for a lot of people because if, if you don't have the momentum going, well, guess what? Your momentum's going backwards then because you're always moving. You're always moving either forward or backward. So if the government decides to give you the money or the bankers decide to give you the money first, well, then you got the momentum. Right there is an intangible value that is worth millions. Yet no one will ever have that conversation. And it's worth millions of dollars. So I don't know what your feeling is on that. Absolutely. It, you, this, it just goes back to the basic issue of government picking winners and losers. And, and once they start picking winners, everybody else is a loser. And, and it, it pretty much guarantees that the transition is going to be more painful because it's not the economy making the decision. It's not the consumer making the decision. It's the government dictating through central planning because they're so much smarter than everybody else that this industry should survive and thrive. This one, well, we're going to tax it into the ground and you know deal with the unemployment problem when it happens. And that's the sort of short-term thinking that leads to great depressions. And, th- and that's ultimately, you know, this last year, if it has shown us anything, it is that we are susceptible to another great depression. And it's going to be a government-induced great depression. Well, what's next? What should people do? We like to end on, you know, call to action. I mean, if it's, if it's you know, getting out the pitch, pitchforks and torches. By the way... I really believe what's going on is very simple, okay? The people in power are just simply pitting the pitchforks against the torches. That's it. The people who have the pitchforks 
if they actually have a rational conversation with the people with the torches, I think they could work things out and realize the people in the middle are the ones pitting them against each other. But anyway, I don't know what your feeling is on that. <laughs> I, th- I think that's accurate. I mean, it, you've, governments and, and, and factions have always tried to pit groups of people against each other, making them think that the other one is the enemy, when in fact the enemy is the person trying to control everything. The, the, the enemy is the person trying to be the Wizard of Oz that, that is behind the curtain and knows how everything's going to happen. And the more you have a government made up of people who think that they know how to run society one way or the other, you know, it, it, it's a two-directional thing, uh, the, the more chance for chaos and, and catastrophe you have. And so what we need is... We need people in, in North Dakota, and, and I know there's Montana's having these issues as well with, with coal. Um, we need people to speak out to their representatives and say, we don't want our tax money being used in this war. You know, we don't want to fund one side of the war because we can't outspend the federal government. Why would we even try? You know, we've got a situation where the, the markets are now, and you talked about momentum, and it comes back to a critical mass thing. And, and one bill that we didn't talk about is, is Senate Bill 2291, which is the bill that says that the state of North Dakota is going to divest of all investment funds and companies that practice ESG, which is ethical social governance. I'm sure you've talked about it on your show before. Um, that's most companies now. That, it's $40 trillion market cap worldwide is, is attributed to ESG. The state of North Dakota can't divest of every entity that subscribes to this governance philosophy because there wouldn't be anything left to govern or anything left to, to invest in. Wait a minute and, here. Back up. Back, back, back up here. SB 2291 is what now? It is an attempt to create a situation where the state would look at all of its investments, both in, in companies and in investment funds like a legacy fund or pension funds, or the various other, you know, school trust fund where we, we invest money into stock into the stock market, which is into funds, mutual funds, index funds, that sort of thing. And what they want is in this bill for the state to go through and get rid of all investments in companies or funds that subscribe to what's called ESG, the ethical social governance philosophy. Um, and this is next impossible because they would our, our investment management costs would go through the roof if we wanted to do this, and there probably wouldn't be that much to invest in anymore, and and our our state investment pools would be uh, overly concentrated in you know the the coal industry or or oil or something. You know we got to have a diversified investment portfolio for the money that we are letting who, ride in stock. Who introduced this bill? Uh, that bill is from Senator Jessica Bell. Do they have any idea what what they're doing? I don't think so. No, and, and no. The only reason I ask is um, ESG. Okay, ESG. By the way, it's environmental social governance, as is the actual term. Um, and Meridian Energy Group, which is building the refinery out in, out in the Bakken in, in Belfield, North Dakota, has just gone through three years 
of court cases based on ESG philosophies to where they had to get certified, okay? So Mm -hmm. if I'm hearing you right, that North Dakota is trying to divest themselves, pull away from any sort of investment funds that would have an ESG investment philosophy, well, Meridian Energy Group does. Energy Transfer does. Energy Transfer has a 90-page ESG report to their shareholders. So is that what they're talking about? Is that... That's exactly what they're talking about. They don't, I don't think they realize that ESG is more than just solar companies. Well, no, they don't. That's what I'm saying. What this, what this smacks of is FU legislation. This is a reaction mm-hmm. is all it is. It's a reaction. It's like, oh, well, you built a bridge. Well, we can build a bigger one than you. That's what this is. I mean, yep. they don't understand that all these oil, BP and all these big oil, oil and gas, I'm sure Hess has an ESG report. Anybody who's a public company has to. They have to. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't even, I, I think that's a law. I mean, if not, the banks make them. I mean, it's just, I don't know the nuances quite yet because this ESG stuff's pretty real and it's pretty new. And we're actually one of the more advanced ones on it with the industrial forest. But anyway, I'm sorry to, to, to kind of go off a little bit. I was just a little bit taken back going, well, half the oil and gas companies I interview have got ESG reports, so they would be, they, I guess they can't do business in North Dakota, okay, Because unless they don't put in a legacy fund. So, I mean, I'm not sure how this bill reads, but uh, anyway, it, so. It, it is, it, it literally reads that the state will divest of any entity, um, it, and this is a study, a study to determine whether the state could divest of entities that practice ESG basically okay well they're gonna get on the they're gonna get out of the oil and gas business then okay and I think that from what you're telling me there's probably not many companies out there at least publicly traded that aren't already in this category I mean it's a it's a 40 trillion dollar market cap worldwide that's a lot of the world economy I had one company down in Texas postpone a meeting for a week because they had to double the size of their ESG report to the shareholders before 2021. That's how important it was. It went from like 40 yeah. pages to 80 pages. And they're, they're, they're a big company in the Bakken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I guess I don't know the nuances of this, but to me, like I said, just the initial reaction was this, this is kind of reminds me of the, of the, you know, just some of the legislation that comes out of just, you know, the, the, the like I said, the overreaction. Just, well, you did that. Well, I'm going to do this right back. And uh, it's not very well thought through. So, okay. Well, is there, is there, what should people do? How can they get in touch with you, give you some money, help you, uh, you know, get through 2021 and <laughs> everything else you got going? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to our website at watchingnd.com. There's a donation button. Uh, there's a, a uh, button to subscribe to our email blast, which you got. Um, and, and just overall, more than anything, obviously we're not going to turn down anybody's donations, but more than anything, start talking to your legislators. Clearly they're not getting enough input. Maybe it's because of COVID and they haven't been talking to a lot of people on the street. But there's something going on. There's a bubble effect going on in this session. And they need to hear from regular people now more than ever. 
music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Christy Craddock. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Commissioner Christy Craddock, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. So we, as we are watching the price of oil go down, the demand in the country and in the world drop from 100 million barrels a day to roughly 80 million barrels a day. Then again, there was this application for us to look and figure out if we should be doing proration again. And uh, which right at the same time, we're shutting down for COVID and Right at the same time, the entire country is trying to figure out what we're going to do, and we're all stuck at home. We had two months of a very active conversation with a lot of information come in from all sectors of the oil and gas industry, whether you were a operator, a pipeline company, or you were somebody who was selling it on the open market. A lot of people give us information, and we had an 11-hour hearing, Zoom hearing, probably was the largest hearing at that point. Now we're all used to Zoom, but that was a new technology for a lot of us back in April, and so um, now we're all used to it. But that was and we had people from all over the world literally watching to see what we were going to do as an as an agency at that point with you know we had, again 5 million barrels of oil and 100 million barrel a day market was not a lot but it was a lot if you put all of the united states together it was more like 11 million barrels total and our friends in Canada were watching to see what we were doing. Our friends in Mexico were watching to see what we were doing. So um, we had this hearing. We appreciated it. 
We took a lot of information. I took 15 pages of notes in 11 hours. And for those of you who were watching or paying attention, I got up total of 30 minutes in that 11 hours. That's the only breaks we took. Y'all got to wander around. We sat and took notes and we're serious about it because it was a serious conversation. And it wasn't just big guys against small. It was a very split conversation of people that I would not have thought were on one side or the other. And we appreciated the data. And about a week after, about within two weeks after we had the conversation, the price of oil went to a negative 37. And so at that, within a week, actually, and wow. so at that point, I think there was a recognition that this, which had never happened, obviously, before in my lifetime, in a lifetime, and I'd like to see it never happen again, by the way. But I think at that point, there was recognition from this agency that the free market really was going to work. And so we chose not to do proration in this, from this agency. And I think had we, that other states would have followed suit. To listen to the full-length interview with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Chrissy Craddock, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our morning show, Play Hard, Work Hard, and our social media pages. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Play hard, work hard.